So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Jonathan, and uh, I'm going to be continuing today to look at our series on one of probably the most famous parables or stories that Jesus ever told. So famous that it's actually become part of our everyday language, often called the prodigal son or the lost son. Now, just as I start, I want to just share something briefly with you. I, you know, I felt, I felt God was putting something on my heart this morning as I went to clean the car from the frost, as I'm sure many of you did. And I started around the side and it was difficult to get it off and whatever. But when I got around to the front on the windscreen, the way the car was parked, the sun had been shining on it. And it looked just the same as all the rest. And I got my scraper and I got ready and as I put, it just came off. It just came off easily. And I think, you know, as we've been worshipping, I hope you felt the, the presence of God touching and softening your heart. I, I think God wants to shift some ice this morning in us, you know? And what looks sometimes so solid can actually be quite easily removed. So I want to encourage you to continue where we kind of left off before the notices of being open to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to say, that he continues, I trust, to speak to us as I'm speaking. Can we do that? Great. Good. Okay. The prodigal son. Well, that's what we often call it, but titles sometimes are not particularly helpful. And as we know, these titles, which you may see if you're reading in your Bible, they're not actually part of the original text. They've just been added in to help us. But sometimes they don't help. Sometimes they can make us focus on the wrong things. And this title actually focuses in on perhaps the best known bit of the story of the prodigal son. But in fact, the story is not about the prodigal son. It's actually about the prodigal sons, because there were, in fact, not one son, but two. There was a younger son, and there was an older son. And one left home, and one stayed at home. But as we'll see as we go on this morning, both of them ended up lost. And when we come to think about the word prodigal, not a word we often use, and we see that it means this, Spending money, using resources freely, recklessly, wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish scale, you'd have to say that one of the sons was definitely prodigal, but the other one was definitely not. So you might come to the conclusion, as others have, that in fact the most prodigal one in this family the most reckless, wasteful one in this family is the father, is God. And so we could probably end up with a better title, which is the prodigal God. That's what this story really is all about. It was the father who was the most willing to spend all he had, his wealth, his possessions, his position, his honor, he was prepared to lay it all on the line for the sake of his lost family, to welcome his sons back. And strangely enough, that is the name of a book I want to recommend to you. It's a book called The Prodigal God. 
It's solely based on this parable. It's by a guy called Timothy Keller, or Tim Keller, as we call him. Now, you may not have come across him. Some people have said he's the modern-day C.S. Lewis. You must have come across C.S. Lewis. He's the Narnia guy, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah? You've come across him. C.S. Lewis, great thinker, brilliant man, Christian, wrote the Narnia Chronicles. Well, think of Tim Keller as like C.S. Lewis, only as well as all that, he's a theologian and he's alive. (laughs) I've seen him. I've listened to him. And although he comes from a very different church tradition than ours, God, I think, uses him powerfully to speak to us. I recommend it to you. So if you were here last week, you'll have heard Steve Lee talking about the younger son, the story of the younger son. If you haven't heard it, go online and listen to it. Worth a listen. And before that, Steve Chick talked about the father. If you missed that, catch up. I promise you, it's worth it. But the young man that we heard about last week was outrageous. Fed up with living at home, he goes, asks his father for his share of the inheritance. Can't wait till he dies. Then he goes off into a far place and he spends it all living a wild life. And when the money runs out, his friends dry up, he ends up looking after pigs and starving. Not a career move for a Jewish boy. And after a while, he comes to his senses and he thinks, you know, that the, the workers that my dad hires have a better life than this. I may have messed up being a son, but I'm going to go back and offer to work for my dad. And so he sets off. But his father, as the story tells us, sees him coming a long way off. And he runs to him. He embraces him. He puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, the best robe on his back. He reinstates him as his son. And then he throws a party. It's a famous, wonderful story with an amazingly happy ending. And if you're a Christian here today, like me, then actually this is all our story to some extent. And if today you're not a Christian, this can be your story. We have a father who wants to welcome us back into the family. But when the younger son returns and is welcomed, the story hasn't finished. There is a bit more. So let's pick up Jesus' words, starting in Luke chapter 15 and just before verse 24. The party has started. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never gave me even a goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, if you were to glance to it, we are told that actually there are two groups of people that Jesus is gathering. One we know well, there were the sinners and the tax collectors, the broken, the 'er ne'er-do-wells, the forgotten. They all came to Jesus, attracted to the holiest person to ever walk the face of this earth. But along with them came the Pharisees and the religious teachers, and they came to be outraged and to mutter. I love muttering. When I was a child, Muttley used to mutter. Ask somebody older than you if you don't get that. And they muttered and they said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. The very people that were meant to be guides to the Father, the Pharisees and the religious teachers, had become an obstacle. Now, the two sons in this story actually represent these two groups, and it's not difficult to work out which is which. The younger son represents the sinners and the tax collectors, and the older son represents the Pharisees and the religious teachers. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, uh, and the Pharisees and the teachers keep appearing in the story, I find it very easy to kind of think of them as the pantomime villains, don't you? I feel like somebody should be saying boo hiss when they appear around Jesus. I don't know what your impression of a pantomime villain or a baddie is. There's a couple you might think of. And that's all very well. But the, the danger I find in that is that what I often do is I will, I will kind of demonize something that challenges me. Because that makes it so much easier for me to ignore So before I start throwing stones at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I need to recognize something else. Do you want to see a real Pharisee? (laughs) This Pharisee, these Pharisees, these people could be me. In fact, I can be both of these brothers. In fact, I have been both of these brothers. Strangely, I am one of two brothers, and I'm the youngest. But it didn't work out the way this story goes. So I was the one who was the the good guy. I stayed at home. But later in life, as things worked out, I became the younger son who ran away. And I found a God who welcomed me home again and reinstated me. But it shows me that in my heart, I can be both the younger son and the older son. And I'd suggest to you there can be a, a younger or an older brother heart in all of us here this morning. We need to be careful and humble. You know, there's a, a story told about the Catholic thinker, G.K. Chesterton. And it said that the Times wrote to some authors and asked them the question. Are you ready? What's wrong with the world? They got a letter back from him, it said. It simply said this, Dear Sir, I am. Dear Sir, I am. That's 
a true understanding. That's true humility. That is our hearts, and God is interested in our hearts. You see, until the prodigal returns, the older brother is the model son. He does everything his father asks of him. He works hard. He follows the rules. He always does what he's told. He's always there. But when the younger son returns and is welcomed back, something flips. And what is really in his heart actually starts to come out. Let's look at his angry words. Look, he says. Now, in the culture of the time and in that region, that is not how you addressed your honored father. This is rude. Look, it's just hot anger. He wants his father to get the story straight. And in doing this, the elder son disgraces the father just as much as the younger son did by what he did. Refusing to go in to a big public event, the village would have been there. His father had thrown it. He is shaming his father. Publicly disapproving of what his father had done. All these years, his words give him away, don't they? I've been slaving for you. He's not working as a son in the family business. He is slaving away for his father. You sense, you hear the bitterness in his voice. I've never disobeyed your orders, he said. I'm a a rule follower. I'm the one who does it all right. Yet you never even gave me a goat. Oh, you never gave me a goat to celebrate. And now this good-for-nothing son of yours has come home. You've killed the fattened calf. That's the big prize. That's the one that's for the special, special event. He is not sure of his father's love. The angry words continue. Notice what he said? His brother's come home, but now it's this son of yours. This son of yours. Now, I don't know how many of you have family here and small children, but I have come home from work sometimes, and I've encountered something quite similar, that our children have suddenly become these children of yours. (laughs) And we can so easily kind of shift the blame, can't we, (laughs) at moments of crisis. But this is a serious thing. His, His whole view is this son of yours. He's disowning his brother. He's kind of written him off. This son of yours went off, took the money, wasted it all. This son of yours squanders your money, wasted it all. I would never do that. And you, what did you do? You threw a party. You're celebrating. How can you celebrate? This, this is not fair. This is not right. It's sad. It's very sad. It's not fair. Something you often hear from children, isn't it? It's not fair. Whoever said it was going to be fair? (laughs) But the point here is, 
It speaks of entitlement. He's the one who's wasted everything. I'm the one who's done it all right. And he gets the fattened calf. And I don't even get a goat. He doesn't deserve it, but I do. Well, this would be a sad story, but the story isn't finished yet. Because remember who this story is really about? The reckless, wasteful, prodigal, loving father. So let's look at the words of the father and see how different they are. The fa- Can you hear in his voice, my son, my son. The older brother might have disowned his younger brother, but the father will not disown this grumpy, angry son of his. My son, he calls him. He honors him. He, win- he affirms him. He's, I don't know, I, th- I don't think I would have done that. I'd have probably told him off. But the father affirms him. My son. He says, you are always with me. He's really not disowning me. He's, you have a place. This is where you belong. You're always with me. He wants him to know, despite his anger, that his place is there. Everything I have is yours. What a sad thing that the son who lived at home, everything was his, but he didn't appreciate it. He didn't appreciate it. I don't know what it's like in your home, but kind of in our home, when the, when the kids were there, they didn't used to ask before they took all sorts of things. You know? I would come home from work, and that lovely thing I was saving to eat when I got home, gone. Why? Well, they're at home. They belong. Everything the father had belonged to the elder son, but he lived, in a sense, spiritually, poverty, He lived not appreciating what it was that he had, what he could have had. Whoops. But we had to celebrate, says his father. We're having a party because your son who was dead is alive. That's the right thing to do. The father reinstates the younger brother. And he talks about him as his brother too. He reminds him, your brother The brother of yours, he says, is alive and he was dead. These words are powerful, powerful words and they reveal heart. They reveal the heart of the elder son. They reveal the heart of the father too. And you see, when we come to think about it, these two brothers may look very different, but they're more alike than we think. The young son rebels. He's a bad boy. We'd all recognize that. Alienated from his father. The older son follows all the rules, he's good, yet his heart is far from his father. His pride in his good works, in what he does, is preventing him from joining the party. To quote Tim Keller, if you believe that God should help you and bless you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may indeed be your helper, your example, or your inspiration but he's not your savior. You're trying to be your own savior. You're seeking to control God through your obedience. This story reinforces our need for the gospel every day. 
The good news about Jesus, putting my trust in him, is not something that happened to me 40 years ago. It's something I need every day. I need saving every day. I need to let the saving power of Jesus do its work in me every day, rescuing me. Things can have the appearance of being good. The older brother stayed at home, didn't rebel, followed the rules, did as he was asked. But he was a long way from his father. This is about our hearts. You ever surprised what comes out of your heart? You ever had a bit of a shock when something pops out you didn't know was there? We need to realize this is the work of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. We need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, not just to kind of cover it up again and ignore it, but to deal with it. The gracious miracle is that the father steps out of his comfort zone to invite both sons to come in because they're both wrong and they're both lost and they're both loved. What both sons need to repent of is trying to be their own savior. One through independence, the other through following the rules. But the elder son has a condition of his heart, if you like, that is probably more dangerous because you may not realize you've got it. Everything may look all right on the outside, but inside our hearts can be in bad shape. That's true physically, and it can be true spiritually. And Jesus, through this story, is holding up a mirror to us and offering us a solution. It's the gospel, our need for a savior. So I want to come to an end by thinking about some symptoms uh, of the older brother heart. And I want to ask you, just allow the Holy Spirit as I'm speaking to give you a heart check to see how you're doing. Because there are some signs of the older brother heart that can be in us. The first one I want to talk about a little bit is anger. The, the older brother was really, really angry. Now, nothing wrong with anger. It's an emotion. God expresses anger. God has given us our emotions, not to rule us, but to show us what's going on in our hearts. So anger is not wrong. But if we get angry about what goes on in our lives, if we experience anger against God and, and maybe bitterness against God when life doesn't go as we want, that speaks of a feeling of entitlement. If I live a good life, I should get a good life. Shouldn't I? Isn't that how it works? We're trying to control God by our own efforts. And when it goes wrong, what often slips out is rage. When, are you, when you and I are squeezed by life, what comes out? What comes out? You know, it's important that we learn and practice to, to stop and to reflect on what is going on in our lives. Fran and I have just been away for a few days on a retreat. It's a, a brilliant, I'm so grateful for the opportunity just to pause and to reflect on what's going on in our lives, to allow God to highlight things. We need to be reflective about what is going on and what is underneath that importance of reflecting and stopping. Here's a second one. Feeling superior. This can be feeling superior about our lifestyle, 
our doctrine, our worship, what we are part of. How does this work out? Well, when I see God blessing and using other churches or other people who I may not entirely agree with, how does that make me feel? Do I stand outside and criticize? Or do I come in and celebrate what the Father is doing? We used to be part of a group of churches uh, when we were just leaving university. And God powerfully moved. It was a move of the Spirit. Um, and God was doing all sorts of amazing things. This was back in our early 20s. But I can't speak for the movement, but I can speak for me. And I have to say, we thought we were it. We really did. We were it. We were the bee's knees. We were the cutting edge of what God was doing. And yeah, there were all these other Christians around. God bless them. But they were somewhat, somewhat of a sort of a lesser standard than we were. We had it right. We had it all together until it all went wrong and it all fell apart. The older brother needs to turn into the younger brother and come home. Tim Keller, who I've quoted to you, would have a different theology to us. Does that mean that God hasn't got anything to say through him? No. I think he's brilliant. I wouldn't agree with everything he says. Thirdly, we can have an unforgiving and judgmental spirit. I would never do anything like that. Now, we may not say that, but we can think it, can't we? I mean, it's easy to be sort of compassionate to people who struggle with the things you do, but other things, well, really? I have a family uh, culture, family background, actually, that was really quite judgmental uh, right through my family on, on my mother's side. We went to the village congregational church the people in the Anglican church, well, they weren't real Christians. We didn't put our washing out on Sundays. We didn't go and play football on Sundays. In fact, we didn't do anything that was any fun on Sundays. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that might sound funny, and it might be trivial, but actually there's something in me that I need to work against, that I need to allow the Spirit of God to root out of me, that I don't take that streak in my life, because that's not a God streak. That's not like my Father in heaven. That might be like my earthly mother and her grandmother. That's not like my Father in heaven. And it's important, I think, particularly with things like this, that we have meaningful connection. You know, that we have people around us who know us, that's why we have community groups. That's why we have small groups. That's why we, we do stuff like that. Because here we can hide. But actually, when there are people who know us, they see us like we really are. If you're not connected in with a group of people in any meaningful way, let me tell you, you're in a dangerous place. You need to do it. Because it's one of the ways that God brings us up short about what we really like. Family's the other one, of course. No hiding there. Number four. And I'm nearly done. Joyless drudgery. Fear-based compliance. 
doing stuff out of duty. That's just difficult, isn't it? Because, be honest, I've been around the planet a little while now, and I've got to tell you, life is not all fun, fun, fun. There are things that need to be done. They're not always fun, they're not always interesting. That's the way life is. But actually, if there's no joy, there's no pleasure in our serving of God, then we're missing, we really are missing something. The people of Israel spent time in Egypt in captivity. They were slaves. And God got them out, and this is a well-known phrase, God got them out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of them. They kept going back to their slave ways. And our history is the same. We were slaves to sin. And we keep, if we're not careful, going back to it. And forget that the God who welcomed us in, welcomed us in with love. That we're not to be slaving away in his house, but we're to be sons and daughters. We're to be his children working in the family business. Always goes back to love. Here's a great little verse. In the little book of Jude, in verse 21, it says this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of of God. That's our job. Keep yourself in the love of God. We need to constantly be going back to the love of God. How do you do that? I don't know. What works best for you in worship, as we worship this morning, in prayer, In reflection, we need to be constantly experiencing the love of God to keep us from falling into a joyless way of life. I recently reread all the Narnia books. There's that C.S. Lewis guy again. Why did I do that, you might say? Well, I'll tell you why I did it. I did it because I wanted to reconnect with something of mystery and wonder. Because that's what God is like. You need to find what the Spirit uses for you. But God doesn't want us to be a joyless people. Just putting the hours in, doing the stuff, slaving away all these years. And finally, oops, and linked to that, <clears throat> the elder son wasn't really sure of the father's love. You never threw a party for me. He's not sure how much the father loves him. Are you? Are you never sure if you're good enough? That God delights in you, as he said to us this morning? That he thinks you are amazing? The God who made everything sees you and me and thinks that you are amazing. How how does that even work? That's where wonder comes in. It's amazing. Our prayer life is not supposed to be dry. Yes, we need disciplines, but it's supposed to be full of intimacy and all. The deeper our love, the more our prayer conversations change. Maybe that's a struggle for you, to know the heart of the Father. Maybe you've experienced life where fathers have been absent or present and not good. And that's a toughie. But God wants you to know he's the father that was looking out for you. The father that affirms you, that wants you home. 
And if that's a struggle for you, there's going to be opportunity for prayer here this morning. But there's also something you can do. If that's a struggle for you, why don't you invest? We have something called the Father's Heart Conference coming up. There's leaflets there. It's on a Friday, Saturday. If you could take a day off work, it's worth it. If you can't go on Friday night and Saturday. If this is an area for you, don't ignore it when the Holy Spirit prompts you. Do something. Go and find out about this Father who loves you. If you've lost your way in terms of joy as well, shall I tell you something else that changed my life? It's Alpha. Oh, you say, I, th- I thought you were a Christian. Well, yes, I was. But do you know what? I found that as I share my faith, it invigorates me. It, it stirs me. I think, oh, yeah, I do believe this. This is real. This is true. I'd say to you, why not come on Alpha again? Why not go back to the beginning and, and hear it again? Why not come and hear and meet people whose lives God is changing? Why not get involved with me in discipling? Sharing with people the truth, the wonderful truth about Jesus. I tell you, it can change your life. I never was involved in Alpha until I came here. It's probably the most exciting thing that I do. I love it. I love it. And it brings me joy. And it connects me with life. I don't care how many of you come. Just come. If you need it, come. Even if you're a Christian and you want to encounter God in a fresh way, just come. I need to stop. (laughs) This is a wonderful story of homecoming. So how does the story end? Well, we don't know. That's the sad thing. This is the EastEnders moment. Does the son repent? Does he listen to his father and come back in? We don't know. Why don't we know? Well, I suspect it was because Jesus wanted the Pharisees to write their own end to the story. And I suspect this morning that God is looking to us to write our end to the story too. Where can we finish? We can finish by this, with the prodigal God, the prodigal father. What do we hear at the end? We hear the Father's voice, the Father's invitation. My son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. The Father's plea, his reckless, extravagant heart that he wants all his children, younger, older brother, to come home and to be with him in the family firm. Can I ask the band to come back up? God wants to do some business here this morning I'm going to hand over to Steve and Luke I just want to encourage you this morning if you've got in a rut if you've got in a rut of of slaving away of duty God wants to break that this morning He wants to give you a fresh joy He really does He wants you to give you a fresh joy He wants you to feel His pleasure He wants you to feel the Father's embrace He wants you to rediscover the way you started And I'd encourage you to respond as you get the opportunity. God bless you.